So what I'd like to do with you for the next, what I believe to be five weeks is, you know, you kind of have to figure out, okay, I think I'm just going to do this, is go through just the first chapter of the book of James with, with you, because I think this first chapter has an amazing value and picture about how to have faith in hard times, how to maintain faith uh, in suffering and, and difficulties. This first chapter very much revolves around the first few lines that are found as the, the book opens and talking about the various trials that have come upon them and how they were supposed to uh, deal with those trials and be able to maintain faith. And, and I think sometimes James can be, uh, as a book, a little bit misunderstood or maybe a little bit oversimplified that sometimes we can think about the book of James, and it's just about, well, faith has to have action. Faith works, and, and sum it up like that. But I, I think there's a little bit more color to it than that, because uh, it is a book that seems to be set in a time where the Christians are going through hardships. It begins not only that way, but you see pictures of that uh, throughout the book, and even comes to an ending in chapter 5, talking about the perseverance of Job, and how he is an example uh, for these Christians as well. So uh, what I want to do is, is spend our time in looking at this this first chapter. And if you've grown up in the pews, uh, you might have heard the first few lines there of verse 2 of James 1, uh, consider it all joy or consider it pure joy uh, when you face trials of many kinds. And I think sometimes that can be uh, even unfortunately misunderstood as well, uh, you know, what you just need to have joy when you are in the middle of trials. Why aren't you joyful? And sometimes we can go to other people. Why aren't you joyful? You're in the middle of a trial. You should just count it all joy. And, uh, I, I think that can be certainly misunderstood. I, I want us to, to observe that even you see in the life of Jesus that trials were not something that were pleasant, but were painful. Uh, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7 says, During his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. And the part of the phrase I want you to notice is the prayers and appeals that were made with loud cries and tears. Not with smile and feeling of happiness. And even as Christ is going through suffering and praying about the trials that he's undergoing, he's afflicted and he is in pain and he is in tears as he goes through this. So I think sometimes we can miss the fact that trials obviously hurt. Trials are painful. Trials uh, are not pleasant. They are not joyful experiences. They're not something that we all raise our hand and go, boy, I sure want one of those. Sign me up. Uh, they are absolutely uh, difficult. And yet, one of the things that I think is, is useful to think about is James is going to address trials of truly all kinds. You have to appreciate the wording of, of verse 1 that says, Whenever you face trials of many kinds or various trials, depending upon the translation, that it's trying to express to us that wherever you are in the trial, and no matter the degree of difficulty, 
what James is going to offer to you is the help that, that you need. And so whether you just came out of a trial or in the midst of a trial, you'd go, well, it's probably a one or a two on the level of pain. Or you're in the middle of one, you'd go, no, it's a nine or a ten. It is extreme and difficult that James is talking about that and saying, um, let me address that to you. Let me help you in this when you face any of these kinds of trials that, that may be coming upon you. So I want us to spend a minute, and what we're going to do, not only in this lesson, but in the other lessons, is I want to zero in on a particular part of the things that James says that I've noticed I've quickly passed by and I think are extremely important to be able to have the kind of faith we need when it comes to trial. So let's read verses 2 through 4 of, of, uh, of chapter 1 of the book of James, and we'll zero in on the particular phrase that will be the point of our lesson. James 1, verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And the phrase I want to zero in on is, let perseverance finish its work. Or the ESV reads, let steadfastness have its full effect. And the updated New Revised Standard Version has, let endurance complete its work. I want you to just think about that idea for a minute. That James says you need to let endurance or steadfastness or perseverance have its full effect. You need to let it do its work. You need to let it finish what it's doing. And I've never slowed down on that part right there. Because I think sometimes what we do is we'll talk about, well, you know what a trial is going to do. Trials make you stronger. And I want you to notice that that's not what it says. That trials do not automatically make us better people or automatically make us stronger. He doesn't say, well, here's the, here's the truth of the matter. Because you're in a trial, you know you're going to be stronger. You know that's going to happen. He doesn't say that. I think it's what's, what's particularly interesting is he says it's to produce this endurance, but... You need to let endurance have its full impact. Because then if you do, he puts it at the end of verse 4, so that you may be mature and complete. There is something that we are being told we have to do in the trial to have the outcome of maturity, to have the outcome of completion. If we don't allow this trial to do that, then that's not going to happen. And I think I can illustrate that pretty well. I want you to think about either your own life, or it might be easier if you think about somebody else's life, but how many times have you seen a trial not cause people to be better, but to be bitter? Trials don't automatically make people better, do they? <laughs> Sometimes, rather than trials making people more holy, it makes them more hostile. It makes them bitter. It makes them angry. Rather than being awestruck by God, they get mad at God. And so we can't just say, hey, a trial is going to have an automatic outcome. 
you're going to be better. You're going to be stronger. You're going to be more holy. You're going to be made to what God wants to be. Not automatically. The idea is that the trial is meant to do that. But endurance, the steadfastness, needs to have its full effect or finish its work. Let me illustrate that idea of why I think that is so important. There, a long time ago in a life that I lived a long, long time back in college, I used to work at a uh, convenience store slash grocery store, was hired on as a cashier there, and you had to learn how to do all of the other aspects of the store. So even though I was supposed to be cashier, I had to learn how to make the sandwiches in the deli shop. I also had to learn how to make the pizzas with the Godfather's pizzas so that you were very versatile in case anything ever happened. And at the pizza place, they had, like you probably still see today if you pick up pizzas at a typical chain, one of those ovens that's got that very extremely slow conveyor belt, right, that you put the pizza on, you set it on there, and it just creeps along very slowly through the oven all the way to the other side. And when it's completely to the other side, then it's done. And we were strictly told, you cannot pull that pizza out early. Even if it's halfway poking out, and you'll have customers who will say, it's, it's hanging out, you can grab it. No, you cannot. Because if you do, you will have half of your pizza done, and the other half that has not completed the journey all the way out of the oven is going to be raw, and you're going to be sorry. And of course, I had to find that out for myself. One of the times that I had to eat dinner there and I wanted a pizza, so I had to hurry because I only get a 30-minute break and that conveyor belt is nice and slow. And so it's like, okay, we've got to hurry and get that thing out. So I pulled that thing out of there and that was a waste of a pizza and a waste of my time. And I want you to think about trials with that visual because that's what Jesus or that's what Peter is ta- or James is talking about when it comes to trials is you'll notice that he says you have to let it have its full effect. If you don't let the trial and this time of endurance have its full effect to finish its work, then it's a waste of a trial. It's not going to do what it is intended by God to do. And so this statement that is made here by by James is absolutely critical. And we don't want to ever go through a trial. Can you imagine to go through a trial and say, well, that was wasted on me. It didn't accomplish what God wanted it to accomplish. I don't want to go through trials anyway. And I especially don't want to go through trials that do not have its full effect. If we're going to have to go through these, then let's make sure that it accomplishes its work and has its intended purpose. And so James says that's what needs to happen. So as we're looking at this, I may need to think about, well, what then is the cause of us not allowing this endurance or this perseverance to have its full effect? And before I give you some answers, I just kind of would like for you to think about that for a minute. Are there ways in the past that you have done or ways that you can think about where we do not allow a trial to have its full effect or finish its work? Are there ways that we can essentially sabotage the endurance that God is trying to train us with 
so that we are mature and complete. I think there's probably a lot of ways that we can do that. You might be thinking of some right now. I'm going to give you a handful of them for your consideration of ways that we essentially railroad what God is doing in trying to make us mature and complete through the endurance of trials. Number one that I think would be absolutely big on the board is blame. Here's what I mean by, by blame. We blame everybody else for what we're going through. And so rather than spending any time learning from the trial, trying to gather, well, how can I be improved by this? What is God teaching me? Where are my weaknesses and my flaws? How is God molding me through this difficulty? I spend all of my time angry because somebody did something to me, and that's why I'm in this predicament. And I'm never willing to be reflective about the circumstance. I'm just upset about what everybody else has done. And I, you can think about there are a lot of trials that our suffering comes from what other people do. They've done something and that's why we're in our circumstance. It's outside of your control. But their decisions, their sin, their behaviors are why you're suffering. And it's easy to go through that and think, well, it's all their fault. And not remember that at the end of the day, as we learn from the book of Job, that God has us in trials. God has us there for maturity, for learning, for growth. And even if it is somebody else's fault, even if somebody else has done something against us, and that's why we're in the circumstance that doesn't change the fact that God is teaching us through the trial. I I think... um, This one hits very strong to me. I feel like this could be part of the story of my life because I could absolutely sit down and say that the sins of other people's dramatically changed the outcome, trajectory, everything about what was going to happen with with my life. And I could spend all of my time blaming and, and, and being angry and all of that and not spend any time learning what I'm going to grow from this. And I think I did that for a really long time. (laughs) And that's a really easy thing to do. Because somebody else sinned, I'm just going to hold it over their head rather than trying to learn from the trial. And so I hope that we would think about how we would let God have its full effect through the trial. That sometimes what we do is we sabotage God's teaching process because we're more interested in casting blame on what people have done to us that have put us in our suffering rather than understanding that God is working through the suffering to bring about the transformation that he desires. Number two, and I think is often a way that that trials and suffering are handled, is just simply by sinning. There is such a great temptation in trials to go to sin as a means of doling the pain. Whatever that may be to be able to take your mind off the the pain or the difficulty so people get angry, upset, anxious, and therefore they go into sexual immorality, drunkenness, outbursts of wrath, drug abuse, any kind of other option. They just say, well, this is the only way I can get through. And usually if you talk to somebody and you say, you know, I'm really concerned, they'll say, well, you don't know what I'm going through. That's usually this, this part of our response to the trial. If you only understood how bad things were, then you would understand it's excusable for me to do these really terrible things that I'm doing. And again, that is railroading this attempt that God is doing in the trial to help us 
have this completion and have this maturity and not to allow disobedience to be the means by which that we don't learn from what God is trying to teach us. Rather, what we do is we just run to sin and go, well, God doesn't care anymore, which is a, a close point to what the next one is, which rather than letting the trial produce endurance and let it have its full effect, we give up on God. Or we get impatient with God. We can think about in a trial that we go before God and we say, um, the trial's too long. The trial's too hard. The trial's too painful. The trial is too unexpected. We have lots of reasons that we come before God and we are impatient and want to quit on him and say, well, I'm not going to continue with this in this trial. This is the way things are going to be then I'm not going to do this anymore, which I hope you would catch a little bit of irony when we make this decision. James is telling us that when we are in trials, God is teaching us endurance or perseverance or steadfastness. And we need to let that endurance have its full effect so that we may be mature and complete. And so the irony is here is God trying to teach us endurance and we quit. There's a lot of irony to that. Here is God saying, I'm trying to give you some endurance so that you can be mature. And we go, I'm not doing this. I'm out. (laughs) I'm not. This is too hard. This is too much. I'm not going to do this. And I want us to see that so easily for us to be able to become impatient with God. We become impatient with others. We become impatient with life. And so rather than letting God transform our impatience, we cave into the impatience and we just simply quit before God. I would hope that in a trial that one of the things we would see is that perhaps impatience is exactly what God is trying to work with us through so that we would become more steadfast. There's probably a lot of other ways, but I'll just give you one more. I think one of the other ways we really can sabotage allowing endurance to have its full effect is that we don't stop and just simply ask, what is this trial showing me about me? We just don't reflect. It's a lot of just, just get this done, let's get it over with, I want it to be, be, be done. And often we don't sit back and consider, well, what is the trial showing me about me? Is the trial showing me to be an impatient person? Is it showing me to be... An angry person? Is it showing me to be a lustful person? Is it showing me to be a materialistic person? What is the trial revealing in me? What am I seeing in myself as God walks me through this hardship that is exposing these uh, deficiencies that we have? And so I hope that we would think about how James words this right here to say, there is the need to let endurance have its impact, which to take a big step back and underline this idea a little bit better, what that tells us is when we are in trials, what God is doing is reminding us that we are spiritually incomplete. Every trial is a wake-up call that says we're not fully spiritually mature and ready yet. We need more transformation. We need more refining. We need more changing. 
And if you're like me in the middle of a trial, I want to say to God, no, no, I've, I've got it all figured out. I'm, I am mature. You can turn off the, the trial now. I'm good. I'm okay. I don't need this anymore. I've learned the lesson. Okay, make it stop. And God's trying to get us to say, no, you don't understand that there is an incompletion within us that God is trying to solve, which ultimately requires a need for humility. One of the things this book is going to lay out that we won't get to in, in what we're studying, but he will talk about the, the need for humility, that God is the one who exalts those who are humble. And humility is truly required in the trial if we're going to let God do the work. If we're going to do the thing that he says, let perseverance have its work. Let it accomplish what it's trying to accomplish. Then that means there has to be a lot of humility on our part to let God do this. Or to say this another way, we need to surrender to God's will and God's way, especially in trials. The need to surrender our way and our will to God's way and God's will. One of the things that I think we can feel when we are in the midst of trials is we can feel like God is just destroying us, that God is just absolutely wrecking everything. What is God doing? And I hope that even in these early verses, you would hear James writing and saying, that's not what God is doing, that God is not trying to destroy you, but there is a spiritual blind spot that exists that God is working on. There is this area of weakness that needs to be addressed, that we are spiritually incomplete and we would humbly accept the trial and say, I know I'm incomplete. And so, Lord, go ahead and teach me and go ahead and change me and show me these blind spots that I have in my life so that I can better be what you want me to be. Now, you might be asking, what do you exactly mean by surrendering to his way and will? And one of the things that I think, as I think about my own life, as I'm just kind of wrote this lesson and applying it to myself and, and trying to connect together what God's trying to do through a trial is looking at life through a, a, a rearview mirror of sorts doesn't allow perseverance to have its perfect work. Here's what I mean by that. I know this from my own life, and I know this from a lot of people who've said similar things, is that we can spend so much time being upset about what we have lost in the trial and trying to get back to the way things were that we don't pay attention to where God is trying to take us and move us forward. You know, in any given trial, you're losing something. If the trial is severe enough, something's lost and it's painful. And there can be so much time spent in trying to go back to the way it was. Just, just put it back. Just put it back. Just put it back. And not be able to look forward and go, okay, Lord, that's not going to happen. But you are moving me in a new direction. This is the way life is ultimately going to be going forward. And rather than trying to kick against the way it's not going to be and go, I need it back to that. 
to simply accept where it's, it's going to go. I think about that with early on in my life with the, the divorce of my parents, how every child would go. I want to do everything we can. We need, it just needs to go back to the way it needs to be. Make it go back, make it go back, make it go back. You can waste so much time trying to reverse into things that are in the past that are never going to happen and miss out what God's trying to accomplish in the future and move your life forward because you're just stuck looking backward in the way things are. And I think that's one of the the ways that we can truly miss how God is trying to allow this perseverance to have its full effect is I'm not going to let it have its full effect because I'm just consumed by what I've lost. I've consumed, consumed about the way things should have been rather than seeing what God is able to do going forward. And I've had so many discussions with people who have, who've expressed that same kind of feeling. Why doesn't God put things back the way they were? And it's easy to be stuck in that and not think about what God is able to accomplish going forward. I think that really comes out in the book of Job. You know, sometimes you can read Job 42 as if Job 42 meant that everything went back to normal. (laughs) Remember in Job 1 and Job 2, he loses his wealth. He loses his children. Ten children are lost and goes through extraordinary health and pain difficulties. And you get to chapter 42 and it says now he has 10 more children and his, his wealth is all the more increased than it was before. Do you think that made all that better? You know, if I said to you, well, you're going to lose 10 children, but, but don't worry, in a few years you'll have 10 more to be okay. Yeah, it, that doesn't work like that. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work like that where you go, oh, well, as long as I get 10 new ones, that'll make it so much better that I lost my other 10. God was moving in a new direction and saying, here's where I'm taking you. It's going to be a different life. It's going to be a different path. And to be willing to move forward in that, even though so much was going to be lost in the past. And that's what Job had to walk through. And I believe that is one of the things that is so important in this picture that James is giving here about our perspective when it comes to trials. So let me bring in with the last couple minutes back to verse two, because Verse two is probably where so much time is is spent in talking about consider it pure joy or nothing but joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Why is considering then joy so important? Why does that have to be so critical to the entering of the trial? Why would James start there and say, if you're going to go through suffering and hardships and trials and pain and loss, It is really important that you put on this perspective of joy. And I think it's what this paragraph is talking about. Because if we don't, it's not possible to let endurance have its full effect. It's not possible. We're going to be so much bound up in our anger or our bitterness or our hatred or our depression that we will never allow the trial to have its perfect work. It is only when we are able to count it joy, he's not saying feel joy, but count it as joy, that I'm going to accept the trial for what it is because 
I know I have a spiritual deficiency that God is now showing me in this moment. And I need that. I need that in my life because I know I'm spiritually incomplete. And so I am going to submit to God's ways and God's teaching in this process to see my flaws so that I can be what God is ultimately wanting to be. If my perspective is anything but that, I'm angry at God. I want to quit on God. I'm going to blame other people. I'm going to have all kinds of the sinful emotions and choose sinful outcomes rather than looking to God to help us through the trial. That's why joy is so important is he's trying to get us to wrap our minds around God is accomplishing something bigger that we ultimately need in our lives. And so I'd end the idea like this. You can look at a trial, and this would be my clinical term, and you know it's going to be okay. I don't have a better phrase than that. You can look at a trial, and you know that it will be okay, no matter what you've lost. Because you know God is at work. That's what James is putting forward. Whatever you've lost, you know you will be okay. Because God is at work. And as verse 4 says, let God do that work. So that he can bring us to maturity. And bring us to completion And notice the final phrase of verse four, lacking in nothing. God is doing something that we need as much as it doesn't feel like it and as much as I don't want it, but we need it so that we can be the people that he has asked us to be. Let endurance have its full impact. And so as we close, I'd like for you to just think about so What are ways that you might have been preventing God doing his work in your life? Are there ways that we are not allowing that endurance to have its full effect? Don't give up. Stay with God. God is at work and he will bring you to the end. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father. Lord, trials hurt. And Lord, they they can hurt us to such a degree that it can just feel like we cannot get through. Lord, trials bring upon us a wave of darkness that it feels like there is no light, that there is no hope, And that there are no days ahead of anything that would be better. Lord, I pray that when we experience these various trials, that Lord, you'd remind us about our need to let this perseverance finish its work. Lord, help us to remember that, that we need refining 
Help us to see the changes that we need to make. Make it clear to us, Lord, how we need to be different. Help us to see if we have been depending upon things in this world rather than you. Putting our hope in the people and things of this world rather than you. And Lord, help us to be grateful. That even though it's going to hurt. And even though trials bring about a great pain that is deep within us. Help us to be grateful because we know we need this. Lord, we know that your greatest goal, love and desire is for us to be in eternity with you. And we need to be taught. And so help us in that pursuit, Lord. Help us to pursue you mightily in our hardest times. Give us the endurance we need. Give us the strength that we need. Because we know you're with us. You have not destroyed us. But are bringing us closer to you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll sing an invitation song and invite you to think about how God is at work in your life. How is God trying to change you? How is God trying to awaken your spiritual soul? So that you could be more of what God wants you to be. God has to use trials to do that. All over the scriptures he tells us. He is using trials to refine us, to change us, to mold us, to help us. And we don't learn from the good. We learn from the hard. And he puts us in those moments so that we would learn. If we can help you to have endurance, to help you have the the patience and perseverance that God wants you to have. We are here to help you in that. If you're ready to give your life to Jesus tonight, to turn away from sins, to be worshiped in water for the forgiveness of your sins, we want you to do that as an opportunity as well. If there's any way we can help you, once you come now while we stand and while we sing.